Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we talk about the significance of developing a congregational philosophy of Christian education and how that impacts youth ministry. We are in a series where we're talking about uh, chapters from a book that we uh, helped with put out with CPH uh, called Connected for Life. In our last, last episode, we talked about how some human development models and theories help us frame up the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in the life of young people. And these models help us consider how God's word and sacrament can be taught and understood through different phases of life. Uh, as was touched on in that episode, teaching and the content of that teaching are vitally important in the formation of disciples uh, include and also relationships, both with individuals, with parents, and with the church. Uh, in this episode, we're going to give a brief introduction on the value of creating a philosophy of Christian education in your congregation. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he instructed the disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptize, and teach disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded. And what's an exciting blessing that we are still doing that today in his church. There are new methods and modes, but the words of Jesus haven't changed. Each congregation is going to have its own context, whether urban or rural or suburban, small, large, one with a long history or a new church plant. But regardless of the context, God's truth brings life and light. Now, the pandemic that we've experienced in the last uh, six plus months has made almost every congregation rethink their methods, the plans for Christian education, and perhaps has been a good time of assessment and evaluation uh, to pivot or even refocus uh, on what works best for your context, for your congregation, uh, and for your young people. If you're looking for a tool to help with that, uh, again, we're going to lift up Connected for Life, Essential Guide for Youth Ministry. Uh, This is the resource we're focusing on in these episodes uh, as it provides insight and resources uh, for congregations as they minister to young people. Uh, Each chapter written by a different author and one of these early chapters discusses and provides resources to help congregations consider uh, not just focusing in on one uh, area or age, but considering a comprehensive philosophy of Christian education for the congregation. So this sounds like an episode that planners would love. I'm seeing spreadsheets and flowcharts and maybe some season of the church or color charts. I don't know. Anyone ready for that, I think? But even if you're not at that type of a planner, there are things that you and your church can do to bring cohesiveness and purpose to your teaching of the faith. Mark, you love anything that has oh, an Excel sheet I attached. Do. I did. I read right? a chapter and I get so excited. Like, I just like want to just sit down and just start imagining planning this just over and over again and tweaking it. Color coding it, oh. helping us understand, right? Uh, but truly, like, I. Hopefully there are people with that skill set in your congregation who have a passion for helping look not just at what happens every single Sunday or what happens on a Wednesday or what happens um, over the course of a confirmation program, but what happens over the course of a lifetime uh, in, in within a congregation. And so to help us to talk about developing that philosophy of Christian education, a man who has written several charts and Excel sheets, including a couple of books, uh, Dr. Dave Readers with us. Uh, Dave is a DCE serving at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Livermore, California. He served on our research team uh, for the Millennial Research and has written a few books, 
wrote two chapters in Connected for Life. Uh, you heard about his other chapter in the last podcast, but we're excited to have him back to talk about his second chapter here. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Glad to be back. So it's good timing for us to be discussing this with you. Uh, I think it's safe to say that being relatively new in your congregation, this is a, a new call for you. Uh, you're spending some time either learning or crafting uh, what this philosophy of Christian education looks for in your new setting. Yeah, as we're recording this, I'm pretty much hitting the two-month mark. Uh, so I'm still in the middle of asking a whole lot of questions uh, my particular role as a DCE is a little non-traditional, uh, but I have a, uh, a DCE partner on staff uh, who uh, her area is kind of the, the children and youth ministry. And so to some degree, the way I'm approaching it is I'm asking a whole lot of questions about the why behind some of the things that she's been doing, offering some trying not to be obnoxious in the, the, the advice and the things that I'm offering, um, trying to take off the, the former professor hat uh, and just be a teammate with her, which I, I, I'm hoping I'm doing well enough. Um, but part of it, I mean, it, one, Mark, uh, yes, I have an Excel spreadsheet built entirely to be able to do this kind of a thing. Uh, and it's interesting when you give that out to people, some are really excited and, Oh, this is the greatest thing. And others, their eyes glaze over immediately. <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, please. Can, can we, can we not, can we not go there? Um, but the idea behind having a philosophy to Christian education is getting at the why question before we get at the, what do you want to do? It's getting at the why question. And unless you're doing a church plant, um, you're asking the why question after you've done a little bit of the what stuff. And so you're coming back around and saying, well, why are we continuing to do things the way we do? Um, Juliana, you're mentioning the pandemic is just really perfect for this because to some degree the pandemic is, is part of the reason why um, my own ministry trajectory shifted a bit um, and brings me into a place uh, that has a need uh, where I'm going to be doing uh, part of my time uh, focusing on online ministry and focusing on how do you shift what took place in person into a context in which not everybody you want to reach and teach is going to show up in person. And one of the struggles that, we're, that we look at, and as well as uh, church leaders nationwide and across the world, is, is um, you know, Thinkers like Kerry Newhoff pointing out that the likelihood is that you're never going to truly get 100% of everybody back physically in person on your Sunday morning or midweek stop. And it doesn't mean they've left you as a church. It just means that either there isn't a comfort level, and that may take some time to get back to, or you've created a different comfort level where they're um, they've formed community and they're receiving it in a different form. Uh, you know, we're recording from three different locations today. You know, the fun of technology to people to do that kind of a thing. And to, you know, we'll have, I mean, tonight our church is having um, a virtual town hall leading up to a voters meeting, the voters meeting, which will happen um, virtually as well. Who's having those conversations, you know, a year ago? Right. Very few of us are doing that. Um, you know, school is being approached in a different method. 
which means, you know, what does children's ministry look like? What does your youth ministry look like? And I had a great conversation with a DCE early on in the pandemic. And one of the things he was pointing out was um, this challenged his thought thinking on whether he was actually doing discipleship well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had activities, but without the activities, he started to wonder, am I discipling anybody? Yeah. That pushed him into the why questions and pushed him back to that philosophy level. And, and then I think this is a good time for us to be wrestling with that question. It's absolutely that this pandemic, I think, brought those questions up to the forefront to, um, you know, asking this in that new, unique situation about, you know, ask those why questions, um, get to the base of, of why we do the things in the church. Certainly want to lift up if you're just wondering about some basic things is to, uh, if you check out the chapter, you had some pre-COVID <laughs> good questions to be asking about those things that are very easily adaptable to your current situation that get into kind of some of those diagnostic questions you might ask as a leader or someone in the Christian education in your congregation um, to start, but certainly new ones that have come up. Yeah, there's, if you got, if you have the book handy, starting on page 26, if you don't have it, I go get you know, it. Go and get it, and then go to <laughs> It starts going, you know, walking through. I, to some degree, you start historically, because you, know, you want to look at, well, what's what's been done in the past? Uh, here's a mistake. Um, I will say this to any new DCE, somebody coming in, even a veteran coming into a new situation. Uh, please don't ignore the past. Don't come in like a wild boar and just go charging through and go, I'm the savior. I've come. No, you already have a savior. He did his job. Your job is to pick up on what's been done before you. Uh, and so asking questions, um, you know, how was the past and current support of pastors toward Christian education? Is there a history? Is it a positive history? Is it a negative history? Um, you know, what were the attendance patterns over the years for major Christian education ministries, Sunday school, etc.? Now, when you're stepping into pandemic land, um, what's changed? Um, to some degree, you're have also having the question, and, and a lot of people have wrestled with this: is what are the benchmarks? You know, you look, at, you ask the question about att- you know, you look at attendance. Well, what does attendance look like? Um, we're talking in terms of engagement now as opposed to attendance and what is engagement uh, it, at least be able, you know, from church to church, we're going to have different definitions perhaps, but at least be able to identify what those definitions are. Um, from there, it's getting into questions related to the mission and vision of the congregation. Uh, can you take the vision that the church leadership, the pastors uh, that they are putting out there, are you connecting what you're doing in your Christian education so that it is fulfilling and uplifting the larger purpose that you've articulated for the congregation as a whole. Mm-hmm. Other assessment, and this is one that I'm having the fun with right now, new in here, is cultural context. Uh, I move Now, I've not left the state I'm in. I'm still in California. However, if you talk to someone in Southern California and you talk to someone in Northern California, they might as well be talking about two different states. <laughs> And people in both portions of the state actually think that of each other at times. Uh, And that's the fun part of having a state the size that we have. Um, I went from a very, I went suburban Orange County is a different place 
than Livermore. Livermore is still suburban, but it's starting to get a little bit rural. We have people that work in town that live outside of town on ranches. Mm-hmm. That's no longer really the case as much in Orange County where I had been. You know, is there a difference in the affluence level? Is there a difference in uh, the cultural background of the people, not only in the congregation, but in the community at large? You know, one of the things that I have to pay attention to here in Livermore is we have uh, two defense labs. And so to some degree, being a DCE with a PhD, this is the most normal place for me to be. Because... there's an above average number of people with doctorates in the congregation and the community. It just makes it, it's a part of the culture, which changes how they ask questions and what they want information about. Um, so it's, it's getting into those types of things, you know, it, it's examining, uh, you know, what types of programming are you currently doing? What are some things that have been tried in the past? What are some opportunities um, you know, examining the relationships between staff and volunteers and between um, different portions of the staff. You know, um, we have a school and a preschool. Um, there need that we've we're making a lot of effort, especially now, uh, to rally the team together uh, so that we're tackling things holistically. You know, uh, this is a great opportunity. Some of the children's ministry that would be going on, there's an accessibility to making it available to our school families, because if everything is, here's deliverables online, and we're not gathering to do it, should I, in my online ministry, should I be putting this out just directly to to uh, church families or do I tweak the wording just slightly to make it as an offering to our preschool and elementary school families, you know, and do that with intentionality? I think that's something that every congregation should be and, and can be doing, right, is looking around and asking really good questions and trying to decipher those answers, right? And uh, the answers that we get, the ways that we ask those questions and evaluate helps us to fine tune, to redirect, to pivot when we need to, uh, and know that, that the programs we're doing are actually helping us meet some of those end goals that, that we have a why so that when something like a pandemic happens, we go like, Oh, but we know why we're doing that. And so we can adjust it as we need to, as we go along, uh, because we know what, what we want our young people to be getting into. And in the book, you address this question of, of, why in a book about youth ministry are we talking about developing a philosophy of Christian education? So why are we trying to create this very big 10,000 foot view Excel sheet with many, many color codes over, over many different age brackets when, when really the book's about youth ministry. Uh, and so thankfully you didn't leave that question unanswered. Uh, so why is it important that youth ministry connect to a, a bigger picture uh, of, of Christian education in your congregation? Well, it's, it's simply put, I mean, youth ministry is part of the ecosystem of your larger congregation. It's not an entity unto itself. Uh, and so those that you're going to have as a part of your youth ministry have been an, a part of other aspects of your Christian education uh, programs and ministries. 
And so thinking holistically, thinking about what happens for you know, your cradle roll people, what happens in, when they enter Sunday school has an impact on the way in which they go through Sunday school, which has an impact on how they enter into confirmation and into your high school ministry. There's also a point where each of those transitions becomes very critical. Uh, transitions are the areas, and those are the spots where you're handing someone off, you know, um, just as an example of this, uh, prior congregation I worked with, uh, I had a really solid group of high school youth leaders and had less so on the junior high end. And I tried saying to a couple of the high school, hey, would you mind, as we're building the junior high team, lending a little bit of a hand? And the answer was a very firm no. Um, junior high kids are too weird for us, um, which is fair. Um, and, I say, and I say that as someone who probably, if you're going to give me a choice, I'm probably going to lean toward the weirdness of junior high because I'm, it maybe just fits my own mentality better that way. But... <laughs> In the midst of that, so I'm, you're functioning with with different teams, and if you build a strong relationship with a junior high ministry team, and there's no relational connection to those that are doing high school, what where's the handoff point? And so building in things programmatically that create opportunity for those relationships to be built. So current example, uh, as we're we were needing to do some adjustments as we're looking at the start of uh, our school year. Uh, our eighth grade teacher was looking for some assistance uh, in teaching religion. And Sarah, who is the other DCE that I'm working with now, um, since she is doing junior high ministry, children's ministry, high school, the thought was let's have her step into the middle of that as much as I might have the itch to go, oh, yeah, I want to do this. Strategically, it makes better sense for her, who's going to be the, the relational contact point, to bridge from junior high as an eighth grader into a high school ministry, especially for students that are attending the school but aren't members of the church. And that's the majority of the kids that we have in our school are not members of our church, many of whom are not even Christian. And so we establish a relational connection point intentionally to build that bridge. Uh, and this, and, and, and that gets at, I think, the big picture. Why do you want to consider Christian education in the big picture? Because you're wanting, if you want to build a successful youth ministry, you better have a successful children's ministry. It's critically important to put that investment in there. I like how you use the word bridge. I mean, we use that in relationships count as well, right? Uh, that all of those transitions from, um, you know, coming into uh, the congregation as a, as a baby, maybe as an infant, into Sunday school, into school, into grade school, middle school, all those different pieces. Um, as you transition from one age group to another or one kind of program to another within the congregation, uh, it is a bridge. And we can make that bridge strong and we can put people that they know on either end of that to help them transition through those pieces. Or we can sometimes disregard those um, and then they become really perilous. Um, and, and maybe that young person makes it across that transitional bridge, or maybe they don't. Um, and uh, so part of that bigger philosophy is helping kind of understand 
where are all of the bridges <laughs> that, that they're going to experience um, in our congregation and how are we firming those up in a way that makes that easy um, and clear and gives them confidence as they do that rather than saying like, well, now you're starting confirmation and I push you down this bridge that may or may not look <laughs> look sturdy or something you can navigate and good luck trying to get together under that because we don't know what it looks like. Um, or are we setting them up for success as they kind of go through those those different pieces? And I think one thing you mentioned in the in the stage conversation uh, last episode, you talked about too how at different stages they're often asking the same question, just maybe at different levels of depth. So here comes this opportunity too. You see that big picture of here's this question getting reintroduced into the life of this young person, and we still meet them with the truth of the gospel and the truth that's in God's word, but the, the answer might be able to take on a new depth. And so you get to get that consistency in how we teach the faith as well. Yeah, one of the one of the questions I've, I've been having with uh, some of our teachers on staff is trying to find out what they're doing on their in their religion curriculum. Why do I want to know that? Because if I'm going to be pairing anything in from the church side in, in trying to support that, I want to see what the commonalities are. I want to know, uh, maybe even to be able to reference back, you know, that there's a connection point. So you can be able to say, hey, remember when your fifth grade teacher taught you about this? And this is, you know, two years down the line. And you said, remember when you covered this? Well, here's how we apply this now. They're going to start seeing the connection points, and they're also noticing that you're paying attention to more than just what you're teaching, but you're drawing them into the bigger picture that it all connects, that it's not um, what can sometimes appear to kids to be isolated Bible stories. I love that you keep talking about kind of this how how youth ministry or really a, any age-specific group is a part of the bigger cohesive um, educational Christian education of the of the congregation. Um, we we talk about the significance of intergenerational ministry and educational opportunities. We want people to be thinking about their their Christian education uh, holistically, but also in the seven practices of healthy youth ministry, we highlight the need for age specific space and age appropriate learning um, and adults who are who are pouring into people um, at a at a specific age bracket and and separating that to some degree. So you know, we talk about that holistically, but what's also the value of that age appropriate, age specific learning opportunity? Yeah, it's interesting. There there are folks that will err on both sides and, and kind of go too far in each. Um, there need there does I think there needs to be a, a good balance in this because as much as from a leadership standpoint, you want to make sure that you're taking the big picture into account. Um, the questions that a group of sixth graders are asking and a group of 10th graders are asking are very different. And even if they're asking similar questions, the concern behind them is different. Uh, and honestly, the answer that you want to give might be different. Uh, so let's take some fun ones. Um, you know, get into conversations about sexual morality with a fifth or sixth grader as opposed to a 10th or 11th grader. Huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, not, it's, it's unbelievable. If I start giving the high school answer to the sixth grader, <laughs> their brains are going to melt. They're not asking. And you wouldn't be able to share with them the thing that you want them to really understand a note from God's word and what God says about that. Um, it's going to go way over their heads. It's going to be really hard for them to digest. Yeah. 
They're, they're going to get lost in things that they don't quite understand yet. And, they're the, and a part of it is you have to make sure, and, and, and the reason you're gathering in age-specific groupings, uh, and even some of the time I would say, I mean, the hard part is most of the time with like a high school youth ministry, you're doing the whole together. There's points at which uh, having your freshmen and sophomores separated from your juniors and seniors makes sense. Even within a small group, because the difference between a freshman and a senior is dramatic. And yet we throw them all together and go, well, this is youth group together. Mm. We we get that feedback at the National Youth Gathering on a a number of things that we've we've sometimes discussed that a little bit about. Are there ways to really say this is a class for an upperclassman preparing to go to college where this is those on the front end? We've talked about structuring things a little bit differently because we'll have upperclassmen be like, that seemed like so young to us like we're, we're through that and hear others that say that was so far above my level yet the same people in the same room having that, that those different reactions so i agree with you on that so it's a both and right <laughs> it's a both yes you have to be intergenerational and it has to be a part of the whole picture of birth through death christian education and yes you also have to have space where you can talk to that young person at where they're at developmentally um, and what's appropriate, what they know and understand and what they can really grasp in that. And let me throw this in there because I can imagine a person from a smaller church looking at this and saying, that's all well and good. If you have the numbers, the how you accomplish this may look different, but I think every size church that has young people in it, has the opportunity, if they work toward it and, they, and and figure out what works in their context, they have the ability to do it. It may look like, you know, small church that is thrilled to have a youth yep. at any given time. You know what you have is an opportunity to pour deeply into this young person. You know, is it going to look a little bit different because it's a one-on-one as opposed to you and a handful of kids? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But you're going to understand exactly where they're at and what they what that young person needs at a tremendous level. In fact, there's times when the small church has an advantage because of that. Yep. Uh, the big church has to think in larger systems and how to do this and has to pay attention to that. And the big church has runs the risk of losing people in the gaps if they're not watching for all those handoffs because they're not doing it as it's harder to do it on the individual level. But both, no matter what size church you have, that is certainly something to attend to. Well, certainly. And there's going to be a lot of factors that you're going to consider that. And I, I think certainly one thing, you know, we want to hear people take away is that when you're going to be developing this philosophy, it's going to be something that's going to be always a work in progress. You're going to learn along the way. Uh, you know, one of those things, not necessarily going to be, uh, have this perfect, perfect uh, philosophy in every aspects of life, but just as kind of get into it, start thinking about it. And I mean, looking at the chapter you wrote to ask those good questions. And really, I think, like you've said, Dave, with that overall thing of trying to build that cohesiveness of the, the teaching ministry that's happening at the church, um, bringing up those questions, bringing in that engagement that would take place. And so certainly that dreaming and planning about that philosophy of, of Christian education is an important step in bringing in that unity and cohesiveness. However, uh, the plan won't have the desired fruit until it's implemented and put into action. So in the chapter, you give a short overview of the steps of the implementation of a philosophy of Christian education. Just kind of in our closing moments here, are there any words of advice or challenge that you would highlight in that part, that section of the chapter? I mean, again, it's it's coming back to the intentionality. Um, it, it's walking, you know, walking through the steps. Take the time to make sure that as you're moving from one to the next, that you're doing it well. 
that you're not crowd, you're not rushing through. Uh, one of the things that can happen when you're going, let's say, when you're going through the diagnostic questions, it may get uncomfortable. Yeah. Take the time to deal with the uncomfortability. Why is it? Why is asking certain questions? Why does that become uncomfortable? You're not going to resolve it if you don't. Right. You know, um, we want to get to the practicality of doing ministry, and that's a great goal, uh, and we ought to. Uh, you don't want to get lost in the navel gazing and spend too much time on that. But at the same time, work the process. You know, just allow the process to be the process in order that you can get to at least. And, and, I, and Mark, I appreciate the idea, the fact that you're pointing out that this is going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah, you're going to come back around to it. You know, don't do it excessively. Oh, every year we're going to redo our philosophy. No, okay, no, that that gets excessive. Um, <laughs> But when you start noticing things shift, you know, you see uh, numerical changes, you see behavior patterns changing. Uh, that's a good time to come back around and say, okay, so what's what's different? You know, what what do we need to readdress? Absolutely. Uh, we're thankful for Dr. Reader uh, and his insight today and in his chapters in Connected for Life. We encourage you to go and read those. Um, and if your congregation could benefit from, as he says, working that process of evaluating, amending, creating your congregation's philosophy on Christian education, uh, we encourage you to check that out. Uh, one of our practices of healthy youth ministry is for youth to deeply understand their baptismal faith. And that doesn't just happen in a vacuum in youth ministry. Uh, that is a lifelong faith development process uh, that's based and fed in God's word and in scripture. And those words are taught by parents and pastors and directors of Christian education and church workers and lay leaders uh, throughout life and throughout that, that educational lifespan. And so uh, we are so thankful for all of those people who contribute to that. Um, and we uh, hope that this is an encouragement for you to work with all of those people together uh, to ask some good questions, to ask the why, and to develop opportunities uh, so that young people uh, can hear more about the promises we receive in their baptism and, and be strengthened as disciples of Jesus Christ for life. And certainly, if you're looking for those Bible study and teaching resources for young people, don't forget to check out our resource website at www.youthesource.com. We will also link our end goals for teaching high school and students, uh, which are our 40 theological or biblical statements that we uh, kind of put out as presented as for students to know and understand before they graduate from high school. And these might be helpful as you are mapping out your teaching for people of all ages. And also in LCMS Office of National Mission, uh, we are providing resources for all ages, too, with the hope to make disciples of Jesus Christ for lifetime. And these resources were created at this time can be found on the Making Disciples for Life Resource Center. We'll link that as well to the show notes. Uh, we're hoping that uh, you can make uh, good use of those as, again, we encourage one another and, uh, you know, listening to Jesus' words in our world um, and trusting in his promises for us. So a couple of closing questions for you to consider. Uh, does your congregation have a concise philosophy of Christian education or a map of those Christian education offerings over the lifespan for your believers? If so, how has that benefited your discipleship ministries? Um, and if not, how can we start uh, thinking about how creating unity in your Christian education offerings uh, can help transitions between ages um, and stages in your ministry? Is your congregation receiving feedback and listening to input from members and key leaders on effective ways to provide educational experiences? And then just what's one thing you can implement to bring a greater, co greater cohesion between your high school ministry and other Christian education components in your congregation? 
Uh, we're going to continue to keep you in our prayers as you teach the faith to young people. Uh, we know there's a lot of big thinking to be taking into your youth ministry on top of many, many other things right now. But we're thankful for your efforts uh, in following Jesus's command to teach his words and promises to all who are baptized. And uh, we know that we hope that you are reminded of God's promises, that he is with us, um, and that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in and through you uh, as maybe you don't see results right now, but as you work through some of these strategies that are going to have a long-term impact in the future. You can you can do it and God will work through you. And Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. Find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Mm-hmm.